you. I'm really happy to be here. I'm especially happy to be sitting on this panel with these young people who are this multicultural rainbow of young people doing these marvelous things in the world. Uh, and um, it was fitting that I would be the, you know, as the oldest one to talk about this thing called legacy media and what happened, how it was presented in 1992. Um, I would also like to add that I actually direct a program in Cape Town, South Africa. I've done it for the last five years, and it's it's very interesting in a country where they're coming from a very you know tragic racial past to look at sort of their media there. It's kind of informed the way that I actually look back at the study I did. Um, the the big the big news out of the study I did was that uh, of all the media coverage there was of the unrest, and there was live coverage for four straight days on mm -hmm. seven different local channels here. It was covered internationally very widely, obviously all the networks, um, and it was covered um, in different languages, um, in this just in this city. And sort of the biggest finding was that out of all that coverage, there was very little discussion at all about the involvement and impact of the unrest on the Latino community, very little, almost completely invisible. Uh, you know, repeatedly South Central was referred to as a historically black community, maybe it was historically black, but even in 1992, it was half the people there were Latino. So it, it was this sort of, uh, for me in looking at it as a former journalist, it seemed to be that delay between reality, the media catching up with the reality of communities of color and how they had changed. Um, it was interesting because they did have a notion, there was clearly a notion that it was a multi, this could be a multiracial, multicultural event. Because um, the verdict was actually delayed about two hours so the media could actually set up. This was an international case. And so they did set up. And, and of course, here in Los Angeles, you have the news choppers. Uh, I don't think any other city uses them as much as this one <laughs> um, does. And they were hovered at various places waiting for reaction. And for the Latino reaction, they sort of hovered over East LA and, and nothing happened. Now, or, or nothing happened that was, I guess, you know, made TV. Uh, and it was interesting to me because that said to me that, and how we structure leadership within media is usually around some kind of spokesperson, some kind of elected officials. And in Los Angeles, those have traditionally been Mexican-American. And I guess East Los Angeles is just associated with that. So that's where they went. And well, the Latinos weren't doing anything. So you know that was not covered. It, there was nothing that, that, that um, they weren't, ex what they anticipated happening didn't happen there. Um, it was also, to me, a wake-up call around the fact that the ethnicities within Latino, it seemed to be, an, uh, was a growing uh, process for journalists. Everybody who's Latino is not Mexican. But, but this, was, this was the way that it was looked at. And it's understandable given sort of the historical scope. But because of the way we do things in the media, sort of the angle was sort of immediately like as not being that important. Um, in terms of how it was framed as a, a story, it was framed largely uh, differently in different media. So um, networks largely framed it in terms of blacks and whites, with uh, Korean, uh, black Korean tension being a secondary, an important angle, but it was principally sort of black and white. And in a sense, they were speaking to, I guess, a national audience, and, and this is how it was cast. Um, in um, local media, it was, uh, there was a lot more varied in terms of you know, ra racial representation of different people. But there wasn't any discussion of any, of any type that I could find, at least in those four days, about what was going on within the Latino community around this. And yet there were all these pictures, people just running every place, and, 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 and especially in Pico Union, quite a lot of coverage mm -hmm. out of there, but no discussion, none. Just they're just running around. Mm -hmm. um, 
There was uh, also, uh, I would say, though, the difference was obviously on Univision. They had much more sort of in-depth coverage about uh, what was going on within the Latino community around the unrest. Um, I have a funny anecdote from there was a council member from that time, Representative Pico Union, named Mike Hernandez. Anyone remember Mike Hernandez? Well, when it, after it started happening, he went around to the stations to try to get on television. I, I want to go on and speak to my constituents. And he said he was a city council member, and they asked him, what city? <laughs> he was asked at some stations, what city was he a council member for? So, you know, that to me spoke to a number of issues, which is the fact that this is, I mean, geographically, this place is just, it's really something to try to cover this city. It's, so, you know, uh, and you already had starting to see, you know, shrinking employment in the news industry. And then we have this, the usual thing, which is that, you know, typically communities of color, you know, make the news when there's some kind of trouble, but otherwise, there's not a lot of day in, day out kind of coverage, at least within what we used to call mainstream media. So there was that, um, that uh, learning curve was just, you know, it was steep for people. Um, I also like to say that in terms of the uh, coverage itself, uh, it's important to remember, and this sort of segues into uh, talking today about new media, we must understand that this became a national story because of a citizen, a piece of citizen journalism. George mm -hmm. Holliday's tape mm -hmm. is, was a piece of citizen journalism, probably one of the most famous pieces of citizen journalism in the history of this country, mm -hmm. perhaps. Um, it's just a man who, who had his camera out and, and, took some, and, and took some video. Without that video, it's very doubtful this case would have received the attention he did. Um, and I, I thought about that uh, in thinking about Trevon Martin and the coverage of that, which I'm actually studying now. Um, when you think about it, I was trying to say what was the genesis of, of this sort of explosion in, in cyberspace about Trayvon Martin. And there's all these things, one, num, there's a number of reasons one can point to, but uh, there, because there was a lag, you know, that happened and then there was a lag before it, it picked up in the media. And some of the things I found were actually organizing petitions, mm -hmm. probably change.org, I don't know how many millions of people signed that. I first heard about uh, the shooting through Color of Change. Mm -hmm. It was sent to me, I, I subscribed to it. So, you know, in a sense, um, this idea of new media or citizen media, you know, producing these outcomes that lead to, you know, discussion um, is not new. Uh, this particular, in Los Angeles, was that it was, I think, was a perfect example of that, the, uh, the holiday tape. Um, I'd like to say a few things, though, about um, what I see kind of um, some of the other lessons that we pull from the study. Um, and realizations, I think, for media. You know, the number one markets, uh, the top markets in this country, the number one media are all in Spanish. Every single major market in this country, number one in the market is Spanish language media of some type. The largest uh, radio network in this country is actually, it's actually Spanish language. So there is this, you know, whole sort of area of the media that um, is, you know, continues to grow, continues to thrive, while we're seeing traditional legacy media sort of taking a, a bit of a dive. And, you know, my curiosity as we move forward, my hope certainly as we move forward, is to see these media, you know, traditional media um, grounded in their communities as they go more and more online, you know, hoping to see that beginning to influence, you know, the, the media uh, menu to some extent. We could see it here. Um, the Korean, on Korean television, for example, here, which was extremely uh, heartbreaking, actually, to look at really wrenching stuff because people were so raw and emotional in it, was, you know, even within that and all this chaos is going on, there was, um, you know, many examples of people, at least shown on Korean television, trying to reach out 
people from the community coming and assisting the Korean shop owners who were, who were attacked. There was many instances of that on Korean and also on Spanish language television. You saw a lot of that. So I hope as we move forward um, in this new media world that we, that there, that we see more of this, this coverage coming into, quote, I hope it begins to reshape what we even talk about as the mainstream. Because the only thing about Trayvon Martin that people have said is that uh, this case was covered very immediately within ethnic media, and another thought was that that was also what drove it. So um, what's changed today, I think, is that um, we have more media. It's not seems to be kind of centralized anywhere. You have to look really hard for it. Um, I would say that in mainstream media, I mean, the biggest thing that changes is there's basically not as many people doing this anymore. So the reliance on um, activism, the reliance on citizens, is uh, going to become more, I think not less. Perhaps, I'm hopeful, that'll lead to uh, a quite different picture of the unrest than we got in um, 1992.